Hey, business owners, need help taking payments online? Well, there's a whole world of transactions powered by Elevon. Whether it's through payment accepting, customer connecting, real-time reporting, round-the-clock supporting, fraud detecting or business protecting. <gasps> Elevon supports all payments for your business. To get started, visit elevon.ie. Elevon, your world of payments. Elevon Financial Services DAC trading as Elevon Merchant Services is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Big Tech Show brought to you by Elevon. Elevon makes payment taking simple, freeing you up to focus on your business. You take on the world, they'll take care of the payments. See elevon.ie for more. Hello and you're very welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunny Independent. And apologies for my voice. We've had the Christmas party last night and that will become apparent in the next 20 minutes from the lack of uh, decent commentary on my uh, behalf. But I'm delighted to be joined by a couple of people who will give much more intelligent insight than me. Uh, Idel Cohn is an investment executive with Draper Esprit, a pan-European venture capital firm that's part of the Silicon Valley-based Draper Venture Network. I Isabel O'Keefe is a principal at Sewer Valley Ventures, which is a VC fund which invests in early-stage software companies. And Austin Spivey, who we've had on the podcast before, is Chief Operating Officer. She's now the Chief Operating Officer of Wire Technologies. Congratulations on the promotion, which is a cloud platform that lets companies build Internet of Things services. You're all very welcome to the podcast, first of all. Here. Yeah. yeah, and we're going to talk about a few things, investing in tech. We're going to talk about the startup scene in Ireland. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about diversity as well. In fact, I'm going to start on that because some uh, venture capital figures were out during the week from the Irish Venture Capital Association. I've written about this before, and a lot of... Whenever these figures come out, I go through all of the companies that receive venture funding, and I it's a tortuous thing, but I literally create a file to find out how many of them have female uh, founders or senior female executives and very, very, very few of them do. And the ones that do, the companies uh, that have received venture funding tend to get a fraction of the funding that all male founder companies uh, get. Now, you know, we can talk uh, about, you know, why that is, but it's just, it's always interesting to me um, that that is the case. Um, I did a piece a few months ago uh, looking at these figures, and I calculated that around 1% of the available venture capital at that time uh, during the year, it was 310 million euro at the time, the new figures have since been updated, went to firms founded or co-founded co-founded, so there, there just one female um, on the founding team uh, by uh, a, a woman. And the reasons for this, when I ask a lot of uh, male investors or older investors in particular, I get things like there aren't enough women in tech courses in college or I'd happily invest in a female pitch, but I just don't see any or, uh, you know, women don't pitch aggressively enough or, or, or women are risk averse. Um, or, or the the best one, which is, uh, you know, w women just don't have enough experience. Do, does anybody, do any of you have any insights into this? I'm always asking this question. I always get kind of different answers. But does that, does anyone have a, any idea as to, you know, why this is happening or what we can do to, to, to improve it? Um, well, yeah, Adrian, I think um, personally, well, 
you know, I think obviously it stems initially from education and kind mm. of the amount of females going into STEM courses yeah. throughout university. So I think that's kind of the seeding point as to kind of the availability of female, you know, founders or co-founders or women working as software engineers. I think recently um, LinkedIn published some results saying that of all software engineers, only kind of 28, only 28% were female. Mm. So I think that, you know, it's kind of, it's like a pipeline. So say, you know, as a venture capitalist, you look at a deal pipeline, there's actually a pipeline when it comes to the amount of women or females mm. coming into kind of tech. But tech if 28% of the startups that were getting funded were female founded, that would be amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It would indeed. But I think also what you have from an investor perspective is, You've fewer female investors, and I think in order for the kind of that to change, there does need to be more female investors and encouragement of female investors. I looked up your website, and you you because you're um, a principal now at Sir Valley Ventures and Bar Barry Downs, right? Yeah. Uh, and on the website, um, you know, you are the you're the standout. <laughs> you you are the woman there because you, you scroll down the website and there's all these guys. They're all around the same age. They're all wearing the same kind of suits, and then there's you. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's true, yeah. I think um, Barry, you know, we've been very conscious and Barry's been very conscious about about that and kind of what we do as a fund to try and promote females. And, you know, I suppose me coming on board has definitely been a step forward in that. I think if you actually look at um, the companies that we have invested into, around five of them have at least a female founder or co-founder mm. within the founding team. So that's, you know, that has been a push from Barry, myself and the whole team. So we definitely have a lot of, we think that, you know, having female diversity within mm. um, early stage companies is a big plus and definitely see, we see the performance in our portfolio on the whole yeah. as a result. Yeah. And what about the, the you know, the, the reasons that are kind of put forward? Um, I, I, I mentioned a few of them there that are frequently uh, mentioned back to me that, you know, female founders don't pitch aggressively enough or, you know, the, uh, you know, there there just aren't enough um, pitches out there. You're fairly new into the in investment game, aren't you? Uh, sorry, not yeah, your new investment game. Yeah, 18 months or so. Yeah, um, you were Enterprise Ireland before, right? Yeah, yeah, and then my previous role was with BVP, which is an mm -hmm. Irish fund here. Right. Um, I don't buy those reasons. I don't mm -hmm. accept them. I think we're not trying hard enough. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that as a firm and sort of in the industry, we're starting to pay a bit more attention to. And those figures that you mentioned are a disgrace, mm. uh, plain and simple. Um, and it's the same across Europe. So uh, the States, I don't really have the figures, but I think in Europe I saw in the last year something like 6% um, yeah. had a female founder or co-founder. 1% um, of venture funded companies in Europe last year had a female CTO. Mm. So, I mean, it's an easy one to point to the a kind of a pipeline issue with the mm. STEM graduates and all that kind of stuff. But I just think that's a cop out. Uh, mm. I think we as investors need to try harder. I think it's, you know, top down a lot of the time. So what do so myself and Isabel are, you know, investors within mm. our companies. But, um, you know, we need more partners in venture funds that are female we so need more LPs your, that are focused yeah. on you know that care about the diversity of the so from your perspective then to. as an investor how does that translate into you when you're assessing a pitch or you're you're looking out there in the market I mean are you conscious are you going over and above to look for startups with female founders or not or how does it 
I can't claim that I am, to be right. honest with you. But I mean, I'm a woman and there's two women here in the Dublin office um, and we care about this. And for me, diversity is much more than uh, male and female. Diversity for me is like ethnicity, people's economic backgrounds. So you want like diversity of thought, not just um, a different person than kind of a, a white male in his 20s or 30s. I mean, I'm, and it's a very good point. I'm very conscious of the fact that when we talk about diversity in this context, it's 80 to 90 percent of what we talk about and what we're talking about right now is is male, mm-hmm. female. There's never really a peep out of many of us when it comes to things like people of color or mm-hmm. um, there is sometimes in terms of sexuality that that does yeah. enter the, the conversation, but not really an ethnicity or um, uh, certainly uh, people of color. That's a lot of industries, by the way, in Ireland. Right. Uh, we're, we're, a lot of us are very guilty about that. But, um, but I am curious as to what the uh, pragmatic response is from the investor's perspective to this issue. Is it that we just all say it's awful, but we're hoping that somehow it will improve? Or do we, well, I guess I mean you, because you're the investor, <laughs> do you actually, is there something that you do to try and actually accelerate or boost that? I mean, should, you know, should we be thinking about things like positive discrimination in this in this context? I don't know. That's a tricky one for me to yeah. say yes to. But like, for example, my colleague here, Nicola McClaverty, has mm. been super um, out there, very approachable. You know, she'll do talks and office hours and all that kind of stuff for female founders. So I think maybe making it less of a, oh, well, I'm going to go in and pitch to a middle-aged man who's not going to get it and I'm just going to get shut down Mm. to kind of change the perception of what an investor is or who an investor is. And especially for first-time founders, whether they're male or female, you want to, you know, you want them to feel like you're approachable Mm. and it's okay to go to, you know, 10 different investors and get turned down. And so I think making it less of a dark art and more okay we're investors but we want to see everything that's going on out there and make ourselves a bit more approachable so it's more you're, you're painting a picture of more of a subtle evolution in uh, in approach rather than you know what i'm gonna this this quarter i'm actually going to go out and i'm actually going to get um a, a a startup with a female founder and i'm going to take a real chance on it just be you know just because i i think we should we you know i think it needs to be done yeah, well, I mean, the process is a bit more, <laughs> a bit, bit uh, more stringent than that. But yeah, I mean, that's not a bad idea to kind of set ourselves a target um, and make sure that we're doing, you know, because we set ourselves other targets. Why wouldn't we do it for to make sure that we're meeting diverse teams yeah. more I think, frequently? I think also there's an argument to look at other ecosystems. So maybe ones where there's bigger ones there, like in the UK, for instance, there's a group called Diversity VC, mm. and it's, you know, I know one of the kind of investment partners in there, Francesca Czech Warner. So they've done a lot around kind of how do we make the environment more inclusive? How do we actually give advice to startups and entrepreneurs and founders to make the, their teams more diverse? You know, how do they do the recruitment process so there's no, they, they limit the unconscious bias and things like that. And actually just creating that awareness in every kind of touch point of the ecosystem, whether that be with investors, with the founders of companies, with, you know, third party providers as well. So I think there's definitely room for the likes of myself and Adele and other kind of female VCs within the Irish ecosystem to definitely look at creating something that would be maybe a little bit more formalized with yeah. those kind of 
initiative as well. Yeah, I spoke before to a guy from Frontline. Um, what was his name? Uh, McQuillan was his name. Uh, he's one of the... Um, well, well, the yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, the main guys. And he was talking about actually running courses. I think they actually run courses to advise other mm. VCs. I think it, they started off in London, but he was talking about doing it here in Dublin on things like unconscious bias yeah. and trying to deal with those things. But it... like. When we talk about all of this, it's kind of a very fine line we're treading, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, you guys are working for companies that's trying to invest private capital and get a return. And sometimes I think we kind of skirt the one of the basic issues, which is what's where's the line between that commercial investment activity return for investors and the you know being conscious of social and you know uh, progressive issues that are good for are kind of good for society, but may also be good for the for, for the investor. But where does the social conscience, you know, kick in? What are the, uh, you know, w- what are the rules there? Do we have rules? Do we need formal rules? Do we need like rules like they have in uh, Scandinavia, where thirty percent of uh, board members, I think it's Norway or maybe it's Sweden or maybe it's both, mm-hmm. have to be female? Mm-hmm. Do we need that? You know, are we getting to that point? Well, one of the things, I mean, the the data shows that companies with diverse teams outperform those that have homogenous teams or whatever. So I think, okay, of course, we're investing for a financial return and we're investing on behalf of the LPs and our funds. But if they want a financial return and we can show them that investing in diverse teams is going to deliver that, Mm. there's going to be absolutely, you know, no complaints there. No, absolutely. But what I'm asking the question, if the reverse were true, and God, let's hope it wasn't, but if you were able to show that investing in a less diverse team provided a better return, would you do it? Not in this investment vehicle. It doesn't make sense. Right. Do you know what I mean? But I'm trying to, because... Yeah, I understand. It is, you know, at the end of the day, we are having to return funds to our LPs and make right investment decisions. And either way, you know, okay, introducing a positive bias or a positive um, discrimination, whatever, is it's still kind of not fair. Like when you meet a founder or a team, you're meeting them for the first time in a lot of cases, and you're looking at their merits based on what they're doing. Especially, I suppose, as a female investor, I'm not like, oh, favoring her as a female because it's a female or a male. So it's hard to answer that question in that sense because you are looking, for me anyway, it's definitely... Mm -hmm looking at it as case by case basis but as I kind of alluded to earlier we have you know in our portfolio we have a number of female-led or co-led companies that hasn't been a case of a like a conscious decision to go after that Mm. but we have seen great quality which is a win-win yeah exactly and that's kind of what you want you want that to bubble to the surface yeah more so and it that probably is a bit of a proactive effort in kind of creating that ecosystem but Mm. also you know just putting examples out there as well. Mm. Yeah, like it's maybe it's about taking a chance as well. Like as a journalist covering this Mm -hmm. uh, and covering startups for well over uh, 10 years, I'm going to make a a massive generalization here, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, And that is that I've rarely, if ever, come across a female founder that bullshits an awful lot, that actually will really try it on. But I can think of at least a quarter of all of the founders, <laughs> male founders, yeah. will apps are great A bullshitters. Okay, I mean, I can think of a couple off the top of my head. I obviously can't say it I know, on a podcast Go for on. legal reasons. Um, 
But and I have it. I have been left wondering uh, frequently whether this whatever it is about something common to the male f- founders that they seem to be willing to to push it, maybe to lie, maybe to to gamble mm-hmm. with something very precious. Uh, maybe the reputation, maybe money that they even don't have to, to, to get something, you know, d- done. Whereas I've always found female founders to be a lot more measured, a lot more kind of grounded. Uh, believe me, I don't mean this is a negative thing mm-hmm. in terms, I'm not saying it as a negative thing in terms of the female founder, but I just wonder, is there, uh, you know, is there a cultural thing there or something that pushes, that, that seems to reward bullshitters, you know? What what do you think, uh, Austin? You, I mean, you you've um, you came to work in a Dublin-based uh, s- uh, startup, uh, an Internet of Things startup. You're from the states. You've you know you've worked in other um, uh, places before. Um, I mean, and you're working in CHQ in in Dogpatch Labs, and they've loads of uh, young companies in there, loads of startups. You are too, yeah, definitely. Isabel, as well. So what? I mean, is there anything to what I'm saying there? Is there, and I'm, I'm no, this is a vast generalization. What I'm basically saying is that male founders are much more likely to try and pull a fast one just to get a thing over the line. I mean, I, I, I you know, obviously you can't, I can't speak for everyone, but definitely being in Dogpatch and seeing all the different startups and being in startup communities in both or New York, San Francisco, and here, I have seen a lot of that. Mm. And I would definitely say that there is there is something to it. There's just something, or at least just taking from experience of how I am, yeah. um, I'm much more calculated in the sense that I have to actually have things in front of me that I can prove, um, which, so I could see how that that is a good point that a mm. lot of women would probably be like, okay, we actually need to have this mm. before selling it, versus men are quite able to just be like, oh, I have this concept, I'm going to sell this concept. Mm. Um, and women obviously, of course, do this as well. And I think that there are some amazing women founders in Dogpatch and that I've met um, mm-hmm. that I'm sure probably have done it as well. But <laughs> I mean, like I, I see it in <laughs> like the, I'm not saying that I see don't. it in the media as well. So mm-hmm. I'll give you a classic example. So I do quite a lot of radio and TV, right? Little two, three minute slots. Yep. And it could be on anything, okay? As long as it's broadly tech related. Most of the stuff that I'm brought on, I, I know very well because I've written about it or whatever. Some of the stuff I'd be a little hazy on or haven't mm. looked at it in a while. But what happens is, the, is the way the process works is a researcher or producer will ring you up and they'll say, um, we're, we're thinking of doing something on this. I think I remember you did something on this before. Do you think you could do two minutes with us or three minutes with us? Mm. It's in 30 minutes. And even though I haven't, directly looked at in, in the last I kind of know it but I, I'm pretty sure I can go and have enough for two mm-hmm. minutes so I always say yes mm-hmm. now I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with I have to say it with, with, with female colleagues in particular who I find are slightly more as you say they're more sensible That like my wife for example is a journalist and her default answer would be something a little bit closer to I'm not an expert in this Mm-hmm. I haven't studied it in full recently, so I may not be the absolute best person, so I better pass on this. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when she does that, is that basically they allows people like me to come in because they'll ring me next. I'll mm-hmm. go, yeah, sure. And then I <laughs> and then I get the gig. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering, is that, does that translate into an element when startups and kind of pitching for business and, you know, uh, maybe we've been talking about pitching for funds and investment, but maybe in other aspects of, you know, trying to grow a startup, you know, um, 
Uh, like why? I mean, I, I Connell is your, the uh, founder. He's one of our thirty under thirty. I'm not <laughs> suggesting for a second that he <laughs> that he does any of this sort of stuff. But I'm like, is that? an environment or an atmosphere that you're kind of aware of or familiar of? I could definitely see that. Um, I personally haven't experienced it firsthand, but I can definitely see that being a huge um, kind of issue wherein women are not feeling empowered enough. So they're passing on things, lacking that empowerment. And so that's something that we really need to kind of focus on and do. And, mm -hmm. and to one to your points earlier, um, the kind of concept of if you're feel like you're pitching to all of these like tied up, laced up males of one age who are kind of set in their ways, it feels very daunting versus if you come in with other women, people your age and people that are saying like, hey, you know what, let's see what you got. And that's mm -hmm. kind of an environment that allows for women and men and everyone obviously to kind of feel more welcome. And I think that does translate quite a lot because for me, like that would be a very daunting scenario versus if I'm coming in and pitching to people who I seem interested, are open-minded, and really kind of wanting that diversity, then that gives me the kind of confidence to be like, yeah, no, I can totally do this. Mm. I've got it. And I think that's the kind of what we need to do, and we constantly, a lot of people are doing, um, but we definitely need to do much, much more of it. It's kind of giving every single person the kind of same feeling that they can do it, even if they might not be the best person in the entire world to do it, mm. just saying like, yeah, but you can probably you can do this, and that kind of giving that to people, I think, is is extremely important. And I think that mm. that would be something that hopefully will continue to kind of be prevalent and and happen. Actually, I, I think yeah. it's important just to add one thing. So mm. there is probably a delicate balance between vision and what one might perceive to be bullshit. Mm. So if I am a startup founder, I need to convince my potential investors and my potential customers that my vision is worth their backing, okay? So that's really, really important. So why am I a corporate gonna bother buying a piece of software off this small startup if I think they might be around in six months time? And or, why, why, might, why might you suspect they're not around in six months time in the context of what we're talking about? It's just the nature of us working with a small No, but well, what is it that might signal something to you that they may not be around in six months time? That, nothing in particular. It's just when you're looking at making a buying decision, you need to be sure that, you know, if I'm a VP at a corporate, that in six months time, if the company does go bust, I'm not going to look like an idiot for taking a punt right. on, on a new piece of kit. Nobody ever got fired for buying IBM, exactly, et cetera. Spot yeah. on. So it's important that... Uh, a founder, male, female, whatever, really is selling a vision and mm -hmm. a big picture to the buyer. And whether that buyer is a funder or a customer, um, that's really important. So where the, where the line stops and turns into bullshit is when the execution isn't there behind it. So, okay, let's take, for example, Waya. So you are a company with I hope a visionary <laughs> CEO and then there is an excellent COO to make sure the shit gets done. Mm -hmm. So that's really important where it turns from vision into bullshit is when there is there's no execution there. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe you're right. Maybe more males tend to err on the side of we'll figure it out once mm -hmm. they believe me and, and buy the vision or whatever. Um, but it's we want to be sold on something that's bigger than what you have today because mm. that's what you're investing in or that's what you're investing your resources in, you know, if you're a customer or whatever. Right, Definitely. right. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, it kind of transcends, like I've definitely felt throughout my career at points where I'm like, I like to know exactly what I'm doing, what I'm saying. 
But in order to sometimes get to that next level, you have to, as you say, say yes without having all mm. of the information. And it is, it puts you in that kind of, as, as a female individual that I've found, and I'd imagine it, for a lot of females, it does put you in that like, oh, I'm a bit un uncharted water here. But you kind of need to just push yourself to mm. get to that point. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of studies written around how, you know, even go women going for jobs, if they can't do more than 50% of the CV, they won't apply versus mm -hmm. a male will, you know. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He'll be like, okay, look, I can learn on the job. Yeah. You know, this is, and just go for it and, you know, turn up to the interview and, and just be super confident. So it, 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 it is a really interesting dynamic and it's really, I don't know. And then the kind of flip side of it, when I do see, sometimes I do see some female founders and actually Anna Dell will kind of uh, sympathize with this. It is, sometimes you see some founders who, especially females who are a bit more um, less like bullish on what they're doing and they're a bit more controlled. They've got all their ducks in a row. And you're like, mm -hmm. wow. But you kind of are like, okay, pushing them a bit further to be like, okay, well, mm -hmm. do you think that's all you can achieve here? Because, yeah. you know, I personally think you could achieve more. So you're kind of pushing them to like be bigger, but you're quite impressed with where they've got to today. So it right. is, it is really interesting though. And it definitely is a pattern that I yeah. tend to see. The only, uh, just to row back on the statement I made earlier in a row back to Qualver, the only sort of grade A bullshitter that that uh, that I'm aware of uh, in, in the female space, and I can name her because uh, it was New York Times and Washington Post uh, and all the rest of it, it's kind of infamy, was the Theranos co-founder, Elizabeth mm -hmm. Holmes. So that, that and there's a movie being made um, uh, about that now with uh, Jennifer Lawrence starring, uh, and, and that was essentially a situation where she claimed to have invented uh, blood tests that just needed a single drop of blood, but it was false, a lot of it was fabricated this, that there's a lot uh, around that. Um, but other than that, um, I mean, I could tell you stories about like well-known founders now and the stories they cocked up and the stories they when they were looking. <laughs> now, partially they were looking for press and I understand it's kind of fair game. There is a, an element of a game there, you know, but the stories that were uh, were, were cocked up was apt. And then kind of afterwards, a couple of months later, I'd meet them and I'd say, do you remember that thing you were trying to flog a few months ago? Sure, they'd laugh, they'd just chuckle. They'd just laugh, you know, <laughs> sure, who cares? Like a sort of a, not quite a Donald Trump level, but yeah. you know, that kind yeah, of yeah. idea of, nah, sure, who cares? Sure, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the way it goes. Um, what else did I want to talk about? We could listen, we could talk about that uh, all day. Um, oh, there is one thing, one last thing. And that when I say the figures in terms of investment are really poor towards female founded companies, they are. There is a, an exception, it's Enterprise Ireland. Enterprise Ireland, if you ask them, they will say that a, roughly a third of the grants that they give out are to female entrepreneurs now. But I have to say, to me, that comes with a big qualifier. I don't know what your view on this would be, Adele, but I think that because it's public money, A, and B, because the grant sizes are generally very, very small. I mean, it's typically, you know, 50 grand or whatever. It's typically a seed fund. It, that's mm -hmm. very, very different from a private market. And it's not um, reflective of what's going on in the private economy. Although it could be said that by giving uh, that 50 grand out, that it's a good leg up and it can be a really, really important starting step, yeah. uh, et cetera. But uh, I just wanted to get that in there because I know Enterprise Ireland have come back to me once or twice saying, listen, stop saying that no money goes to female founders because mm. actually there is some money going to mm. female founders. Yeah, yeah. But I would just say that it's just very, very small. You know? Yeah, but I think that's a good example. You know, you touched on earlier, are we just going to keep doing the same thing and hope for a different outcome? Mm. I think EI has done a phenomenal job in recognizing a problem 
um, and looking at the causes of it in Ireland. So yes, the, the investment sizes might be small, but what they're trying to achieve through the Female Founders Programme uh, and what they have achieved actually to date um, has been absolutely phenomenal. They took a look and they've, you know, they've uncovered some serious gems that may not have been uncovered otherwise. And mm. um, so I think it's yeah definitely a testament to their focus and their understanding that, you know, they're OK, it's government money. There, There's an Ireland Inc. angle to this. Mm. And, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So if we can find amazing female founders through a program like this, then absolutely. I mean, there is also, and this is a purely devil advocate point, but there is also the point that it's unlikely that anybody in EI will, is at risk of losing their job necessarily if some of those investments don't come off. So that there's it, it, a very different risk and reward to, mm. say, a venture Right, firm. so nobody's going to lose their job, but I think when the CEO puts mm. her weight behind it mm. and, you know, has been quite vocal on it and the but importance of it. does the CEO of it. ever, ever really lose their job? No, either, that's really? not what I'm saying, <laughs> but there's a, there's a reputation and there's a, yeah. there, there's a, a, a bigger issue there. So again, it's the same as if I was a buyer in a corporate, okay, I'm not going to be, my boss isn't going to be upset because I lost 20 grand buying a piece of software, but they're not going to trust me as much the next time mm. when I say, hey, I think we should take a punt on this. Mm. And so I think lending your reputation to quite a worthwhile program, that, that, that means a lot to me. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, let's talk a little bit about just investing in companies generally and uh, some of the, uh, the the whys and the hows um, around that. Um, I'll start just with the startup scene. Um, Austin, we, we spoke before about some of the associated issues like difficulties in looking for somewhere to live and mm. rent and all that sort yeah. of stuff. You have one or two <laughs> very, very interesting, uh, colorful stories about going to look for an apartment. Um, how, from your kind of working among other startups, what, mm. what, how, what's the startup scene like uh, uh, at the moment? And, and also, do you find as being part of a startup, which has, I think, raised some money. Yes. Um, do you mm -hmm. find that the climate is good or bad or neutral for in terms of trying to attract capital to grow a company? Yeah, so over, over uh, earlier this year, there came out some stats that now seed round. So we closed a seed round last year with Sure Valley Ventures, um, uh, and EI was another one. Um, but it seed rounds are basically and obviously you two can correct me if I'm wrong, are kind of really, really hard to raise now. Mm -hmm. So getting capital is much, much harder than it used to be kind of a couple of years ago. It was a lot easier to close rounds, and now it's just becoming much more difficult. Any um, reason for that? I think people are just becoming a little less risk-averse um, mm -hmm. would, would be my assumption. Obviously, I'm not in, I'm This is at the seed side. level. That's yes, small amounts. Exactly, yeah. small amounts. So people are wanting to do larger rounds um, yeah. and more kind of when companies are a little further on. Just because then there's less kind of unknown going. If they've right. proven themselves, then you're more, they're more willing to invest. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of the, from the other side, there are so many cool startups coming around, um, mm -hmm. especially being in Dogpatch Labs that allows for us to see and meet so many different startups. And they're popping up left and right. Um, there's a huge buzz around it. Um, again, the, the actual fundraising part is quite difficult, um, but they're definitely kind of, coming up everywhere. There's loads mm. to see, loads to meet, as Isabel actually sits right, right next to me um, in the office, and I see her meeting companies like all day long. Mm. Um, and it's, it's very cool to hear about what people are doing, and the tech industry here is just thriving. It's amazing. It's so interesting um, to kind of see what's going on. We're always, I'm anytime like we talk or anytime mm -hmm. uh, I talk to somebody 
who is not a, a, natively from Ireland, we're always, you'll notice it about Irish journalists, we're always like, what are we like? What are we like? Are we any good? <laughs> it's it's like, Dublin. So true. Validate us, validate yeah. us, please. Um, even up right up to kind of a national level, like uh, you hear these big RT shows and mm. they'll talk to somebody, some big shot from some other industry uh, and always baked into the questioning line is, um, you know, and what do you think of Ireland? <laughs> what do you think of Dublin? Um, you, I mean, you've been very effusive uh, about the Dublin startup um, scene before, and there are a lot of reasons to think that it's it's going fairly well as well. I've written about WeWork, for example. WeWork is on, I know you're in Dogpatch Lab, but yeah. WeWork, which is a big uh, US chain, they're in, they've announced their sixth building for Dublin, mm, which yeah. on a head, per, uh, on a per capita basis, makes Dublin their most, their biggest, most invested city outside the US. They have, I think, it's something like 29 in London or, or, or something around uh, that level. Mm. But the size and the volume that they have in Dublin, it's actually, they've taken the central bank in um, the old central bank on Dame Street in Dublin. So oh, yeah, I did read that. There is obviously something going on in the startup scene. Oh, here. definitely. Yeah, someone said to me recently, you no longer judge a city's prosperity on the amount of cranes, it's on the amount of co working spaces. <laughs> yeah. Well, I so wonder true. is so also many. because Irish offices are crap. In general, um, like like yeah. traditional. I did a, uh, I was doing a speaking thing a few weeks ago, and one of the guys speaking was from one of these big commercial letting agencies, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And I had to question him, you know. And I, I was trying to be polite, but I was kind of saying, look, all these, you know, Sandyford office blocks and everything that you're trying to flog, um, they, you know, they're kind of a bit boring, aren't they? They're mm -hmm. kind of 80s, 90s. Mm -hmm. Maybe what young companies want more is, um, like, sometimes I, I wrote a column about this recently about free food, okay? Free food. Now Just today what? there's and loads the of coffee. And coffee. Mm, yeah. Today there's loads of free breakfast rolls in the Irish event because we had our Christmas party last <laughs> night. But that is an exception. We don't have free food here, okay? I'm always giving out about it. <laughs> it's, it's a mind quibble. I do like working here. It's a, it's, a, it's a quibble. But I always wonder why don't companies give free food? I mean, in any big tech company, go to, and even small ones, there's mm. always coffee, there's mm. always fruit, mm. there's yeah. always water. Small things, you know, snacks, right? Well, I think that is part of why all these uh, these um, startup or different office co-working spaces are so um, popular because they do do these little things that really is nothing um, mm. if you think about it at the end of the day, it's like nothing. giving free coffee. Yeah. Yeah. But that little thing actually means a lot to a lot of people mm -hmm. and that kind of environment of a more welcoming environment where there is coffee and tea and take whatever you want um, and like, oh, and go talk to... Isabel over there today or go talk to Joe because he's like sitting right over there and mm. kind of giving that these little tiny things to um, companies especially startups which can be sometimes one person right. or two people yeah. where if you were in this very secluded kind of traditional office space yeah. it'd be very lonely mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't get as much kind of inspiration because I think being in the community that gives you a lot of inspiration mm. for your company you see what other people are doing and you get excited when other companies are getting excited and that kind of thing. It's a very, mm -hmm. so kind of that buzz. And then also, yes, we're also, when you're a startup, you don't have lots of money, so free coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, coffee in way. Dublin I is expensive now, so yeah. <laughs> getting that free coffee two times a day is key. Yeah, now, I, yeah go on. Well. I think also, like, I actually, I can't really comment on working in um, traditional kind of office mm -hmm. space in Dublin. Um, in London, I've worked kind of mostly in kind of tech-related companies, so the office space has been kind of cool and free food, free coffee and stuff. But I think particularly being back here in Dublin, for me anyway, Dogpatch has been 
quite pivotal in the sense that, as Austin has mentioned, like access to companies, interesting mm. people, the community themselves, themselves create it. So it is quite like, you know, there's certain members and there's certain events they put on. But I think also the flexibility of it is what's key. So, you know, as companies, like say they're at the C stage like WIA, they have maybe five, six, seven people on the team. As they expand, they can then, you know, get take more desks, move to bigger space versus being tied into kind of a long five-year lease, yeah. say, mm -hmm. where, you know, there's no flexibility in that. If they want to, like, move, downsize, bring contractors on. So there's, you know, I think that's kind of the, it's kind of the future of work is it's all tied into that element yeah, I, of it I think as well. I think you're dead right. I think the idea of where you come in and there's just a, a sort of segmented rows of people um, sitting together. I think there'll always be a bit of that, but mm. uh, like younger people, particularly, uh, and younger people who are well qualified and talented and can deliver serious productivity, they're just gonna. I don't think they're gonna stand for that mm -hmm. uh, for much longer. Mm. I, I, I can't stand it personally. I, I often will wander around different parts of the office, or sometimes I even go down to the cafe below the building with the the iPad or the laptop uh, just to work, just for a change of scene or mm -hmm. for something to do, you know. Um, I wanted to bring up the, um, some of the figures though. The I mentioned the Irish Venture Capital Association and they came out with new figures this week and they show that for the first time actually in ages, venture funding in Ireland is actually down. You alluded to this, to seed funding mm -hmm. a minute ago, Austin. Um, but uh, Adele, I wanted to ask you about this. It's down between a third and half on the same time last year and seed funding is down as well. And there appear to be some other macro issues going on in the background as well that are contributing towards this. I've often heard um, uh, venture partners talking, complaining about uh, the investing environment infrastructure with not being able to get money from insurance sector and uh, uh, other stuff mm -hmm. like that. Is there something going on there or is there any, any explainable? I, mean, I think you know more than I do <laughs> because I haven't seen those figures. Um, I'm surprised at that, to be honest with you. As far as I'm concerned, and Isabel, you might uh, chime in if mm -hmm. you'd like. I think this is a great time for companies to be raising capital. And I have not seen any slowdown, mm. uh, you know, in terms of the pitches that we're getting in and the interest. Um, so I'm very surprised by that. So funding was down in terms of number of deals Macro, and capital invested. Of, so volume and uh, amount, yeah. Okay. So volume and amount. Now, look, d d d there sometimes you could, like in Ireland every year, there's always, certainly in recent years, there have always been two or three deals that have been like, you know, 70, 80 million, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. like AMCS down in Limerick or yeah. Intercom in Dublin or, or you know, which really skew the figures because you are talking between seven and 900 million usually per year. So two or three of those deals can be a quarter of the entire. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And other than Intercom, I don't think there've been any gargantuan mammoth deals in 2018. 2018 no. um, but I was surprised by the seed figures. The seed figures down 13%. And I'm wondering, is it that... Um, is it that, uh, you know, investors are just looking forward to invest a little bit more on things that they might get mm. a, b a better return? Is it that investors have more money, there's more sovereign money sloshing around and they just have more money to spend? And so that's why seed is declining? Or is it something else that I've heard a lot of investors moaning about, which is uh, the tax uh, regime here, which, uh, as I understand it, um, is punitive for to Irish startups compared to UK startups when it comes to the amount that uh, is a capital allowance or uh, it's a share based thing or something. Anyway, uh, 
they they all say I've listened to Brian Caulfield many mm. times ranting about this um, that you get penalised the tax regime here is penalised um, any of that make any sense? I mean I don't know that there's been a lot of chat for a long time about the lack of seed funding in Ireland Um I mean, I don't know. There are like ourselves, for example, we're a Series A, Series B mm. investor, and we invest across Europe. So you're starting Series A, Series B, depending on the, you're starting at five, ten million, right? Five million plus, yeah. yeah, would be you know, so that would be probably our smallest check that we would write, uh, probably on a, a round of eight to ten million, and um, so it's definitely in a different world to what Isabel is seeing on the seed side, and say again what the frontline guys mm. would be seeing. Um, but I don't think that's anything new that there's sort of a scarcity of, of seed funding here. Um, like if you look, if you take a step back, maybe to like pre-seed and see what's going on there. So like, you know, there's the H-Band, the Angel Network, which is, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of deals um, size wise. They're probably pretty small check sizes. Yeah. There's some EIS funds going on as well, which is what at the fund I was with prior to this BVP mm-hmm. there in that space. Um so I don't know. I feel like there's money for and friends and family rounds, high net worths, private. So I think that there's like it's easy, quote unquote, to raise kind of a pre-seed round, like a few hundred K for a company to get from, you know, point A to like point A, point one. Mm-hmm. And then when they go to raise their seed, I have seen this, you know, companies just can't seem to find investors because there's only a few. And like we're a small market. Right. So I don't, you know, there's some things that are a little bit out of our control in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, But macro wise, like there is a lot of capital out there at the moment. So there's uh, bigger like funds or firms are raising much larger funds. And it's just like if you have 200 million to invest in a three year period, it's very hard to get that capital out the door if you're writing checks for 500k. Right. So that's a little yeah. bit to do that, I think. But that's only kind of my own musing on the mm. on the point. Mm. Um, but well. yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great time for companies yeah. to to I, raise money. I do also think um, there's a very much a distinct difference in risk appetite in different regions. So mm. seed in the US versus seed in Ireland or UK is very different. So. Typically, a seed round in the US, an investor will invest into a company with a PowerPoint. Mm. And that's the risk appetite is just there's more capital, mm. there's more propensity to take risk, particularly in Silicon Valley, just because I suppose, you know, the ecosystem that exists there, you've serial, you know, you might meet a serial entrepreneur who's exited their business, yeah. started something new. So I think that probably is what you'll see. I mean, us being a seed fund as well. And we do, you know, we're seed, but we probably are mid to later stage seed in the sense that we will look for, we've kind of have a two-pronged approach looking for either really, really deep tech companies whereby, you know, that technology is game-changing where, you know, we've done enough DD on it that we know that we're willing to kind of take a bit more risk. On the other side of the coin, we'll look at, we will look for a bit more traction, product in market, which is harder because I think, you know, ecosystem at pre-seed from what I've seen being relatively new on the ground here is very plentiful here. You have NDRC, mm-hmm. you have Enterprise Ireland, you have various different mm-hmm. ways in which co- uh, pre-seed companies can access capital, but there's just that little bit of a gap between that pre-seed and getting to that seed. So I, I definitely do see the how some companies might say that, and it is hard, but um, at the same time, you know, we there are good seed funds that are out there, are investing in a lot of companies, bringing them to that next level. So 
it just it's a hard one to answer and it's you right. know there's a lot of well, what's the natural relationship like between um a company you're investing in and uh, as the so i as i'm sitting here mm -hmm. i'm talking equally to you isabel and to you austin i'm talking between the two of you <laughs> and because you both basically sit beside each other mm -hmm. and um by the way you were both you were both invited onto this podcast independently um <laughs> but uh, i'm kind if i was sitting uh, is this the correct analogy? If I was sitting next to my editor or the chief executive all day, I, I might get a bit sort of intimidated or freaked out. Or is there any sense? Is that a completely wrong analogy? Uh, I mean, I can see how you'd make that. It It is an interesting, like, our, we are very fortunate. So a huge thing um, when companies are taking on investment that I think you, you hear these horror stories about how investors are so awful or this or that. Mm. Um, so it's really important that you actually work with them and make sure that you guys have the same ideals, you have the same goals, you have the same kind of concept of where you want the company to go and where they want the company to go need to be, it's really important that they're in line. Mm -hmm. And we are fortunate enough that um, Sure Valley um, has exactly, we work very, very well with them. So our relationship with them, because of the fact that it was built on this good relationship and same, and they all want Wyatt, we all want Wyatt to go to the same place and do the same kind of thing because of that we don't actually have that kind of relationship because it's very much built on, hey, like, here's what we're doing, here's how it's going, mm -hmm. and there's just that very open relationship, which we're very, very fortunate to have and would highly recommend it to any anyone who's going to get investors to get that style, or that kind of partnership, where it's not someone who's looking over your shoulder at all times. Mm -hmm. They're there to kind of support you, and you're there to deliver. But their their whole goal is to do whatever they can to make why as successful as possible um, and so I mean at least for, yeah, from my perspective absolutely, absolutely. it's fantastic I think, you know your goals are aligned the end game is the yeah. end game and it's on either each person has a different priority but at the same time you're finding ways how can we both work together as a team to get you guys there mm -hmm. you know from an investor perspective obviously capital is you know the, the initial starting point but it's also you know what who can we bring in to help you who can we introduce you to to like get you that mm -hmm. sale mm -hmm build the product better, you know, so ultimately, obviously there are tough conversations that are had at some various points along the relationship. I think seed is different also because seed is very much, you're building that initial, the team, you're building out the, you know, the scaling the company a bit more. I think it's, you know, later stages where the more difficult conversations happen, but we definitely, that's kind of the approach that we adopt. Um, I was in London at a board meeting yesterday for another company that we sit on and similar, it was a very, you know, collaborative meeting, really interested in how they're progressing. It's kind of, we do, it's very standoff approach as well. So This is the opposite mm -hmm. to what I've learned from Silicon Valley, uh, <laughs> uh, by the way. You're, you're painting a kind of utopian picture here. Breaking yes. the mold. Yeah. Very, very different, that's um, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, listen, on that happy note, I think we're going, we've had a great chat here. Um, we are going to, I think, leave it at that because I think we're, we're out of time, but I would like my sincere thanks to Adele Cohn from A Draper Esprit, to Isabel O'Keefe from a principal at Sure Valley Ventures and to Austin Spivey, Chief Operating Officer of Wyatt Technologies. So, folks, uh, we'll be back at uh, the same time next week. I'm going to say Happy Christmas now because we're all in on Christmas right now. <laughs> and we had a Christmas party last night. We will have more episodes before Christmas. But anyway, Happy Christmas for me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. Bye-bye.